Welcome, everybody. My name is Frank Elkins. I am the author of the How Things Work book series and the host of Untangling the Knots of Reality. And we've got some really interesting things to talk about today. Today, we're going to talk about the connection between dualism, the Garden of Eden, and the physical and non-physical world. That's a lot to cover in one podcast, so let's get started. Last week, we discussed the distinction between mathematics and language, in addition to the distinction between math and language people. Our discussion regarding the truth revealed in the biblical story of the Garden of Eden serves as a perfect example of how math and language people can see the same thing in very different ways. In our preface today, I want to set up the two essential arguments about the significance of one of the West's most well-known narratives. No matter your interpretation or opinion regarding authenticity, it can be universally agreed that the story of the Garden of Eden is told as a narrative. It is, from a literary point of view, the first act of a much larger narrative called the Bible. The influence of this narrative on Western culture is ubiquitous and pervasive in ways we never think about. Taken as a Western myth about the creation of the world and human beings, the Garden of Eden represents an ancient interpretation of reality that we have outgrown and now utilize only as a source of understanding the past, as a form of anthropology, a scientific perspective on mythological interpretation. What we learn from the Bible is academic, serving as a bridge for understanding our past interpretation of reality. However, taken as the literal word of God, it represents a divine interpretation of reality that is eternal and still has significance and impact in our current lives and reality. The biblical interpretation of the Garden of Eden explains the separation between God and mankind, or human beings. More importantly, it sets up the possibility for re-establishing that connection. For believers, the Bible represents the history of human beings' fall from grace and God's blueprint for repairing the fractured relationship, often considered in Western culture and tradition to be the greatest story ever told. Given these two possible interpretations, we can see that one is empirical, academic, and secular as opposed to the other, which is rational, emotional, and divine. One interpretation offers a description of the past designed to increase our knowledge. The other is an explanation of how and why we are where we are now. It is designed to offer us a personal solution for escaping the false world of duality and reuniting with the unity of the divine. Once again, that doesn't mean that all language people are religious and all math people are atheists. It does mean, however, that some people approach religion from a language point of view, using the narrative to understand the true nature of the world. There is an emotional connection. It gives them meaning. People viewing religion from a more math point of view are likely to see it as another puzzle piece in understanding past human nature. By understanding their myths, which give us insight into their thoughts, it is more of a tool for understanding us than it is a tool for understanding God or reality. 
One analogy is that math people tend to think of the Bible, and religion in general, as pure fiction, like a novel. It is not true in factual terms. Its truths are essentially literary and symbolic. Whereas language people tend to think of the Bible as nonfiction, like a biography, a life narrative based on spiritual and historical truth. It is its own truth, and that truth is existential and eternal. Today, we will consider the influence of both interpretations. However, before we start, I would like to give you some reassurance. The purpose of this podcast is not to change anyone's core beliefs. It is not necessary, and I am not asking for you to change your mind about anything or question your personal values. This is not a cult. It is an educational endeavor. Everybody is welcome, and everybody's current beliefs and understanding are welcome. Also, today's podcast will not answer every theological or literary question. It is a cursory introduction to the subject. Just something to think about. So, relax. I'm not attempting to alter your perception of reality. In fact, it has been my experience that the kind of consideration and conversation expressed in my books, newsletter, and this podcast tend to expand, strengthen, and reinforce strongly held beliefs. Because most strongly held beliefs are connected to traditionally long-held truths, and truth is never diminished by time, circumstance, a good conversation, or even a lively debate. And the truth is, I very much support your individualism and freedom to make your own choices. I don't want to force any ideas on anyone, and my intention is not to change your mind about anything. I would, however, like to have an intelligent conversation with everybody about the big ideas and possibilities related to who we are, where we've been, and where we might end up. And I want to consider everything, starting from the very beginning and working our way up to the present. So, relax, and let's have some fun. Because my experience has also been that learning about cool things is fun. And reality is a cool thing, right? Entanglement number one, the Garden of Eden. All right, now we're ready to untangle the first knot in book one, the Garden of Eden. This is the story of how dualism entered the world and the mind of human beings. Here is the narrative we will be considering from Genesis 2.16. And God commanded Adam, You may eat fruit from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you will certainly die. So the serpent said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat fruit from any tree in the garden? Oh no, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. Do not even touch it. If you do, you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. God knows that when you eat from that tree, you will know things you have never known before. Like God, you will be able to tell the difference between good and evil. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. 
Then, both of them knew things they had never known before. God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Okay, so why is this story so important to understanding our perception of reality? What are its literary and religious implications? And most importantly, how is it responsible for the dualism created between the physical and the non-physical world, ultimately resulting in the manifestation of both science and religion? These are the knots we will be untangling in today's podcast. In order to consider the mythological and literary aspects of this narrative, it is critical to understand exactly what a myth is and how they influence human societies. Myths, as literary devices, serve a specific purpose in communicating important concepts and ideas in a way that are accessible to the average person. So, allow me to read the official definition of myth from literarydevices.com. A myth is a story that comes from an ancient culture and often includes supernatural elements. These elements may be anything from talking animals to people with superhuman powers to the interference of gods and goddesses in human affairs. Myths traditionally were created to explain the origins of the world or of core belief systems, practices, or natural occurrences in the location of that culture. Most myths are set in a time before recorded history or exist somehow outside of time. For example, once upon a time is a frequent opening line for myths in that it indicates a distant past without specifying when that past could have occurred. Though myths do not necessarily contain any truth, they often display the biases and values of the culture from which the myth came. The word myth comes from the Greek word mythos, which means story. So, basically, a myth is a story that explains something about the natural world. There are generally ten characteristics related to a narrative being classified as a myth. First, myths are designed to convey an important understanding related to something unexplainable in the physical world. Something that is beyond our physical senses that imparts a kind of deeper knowledge and understanding of the real world. Therefore, creation stories are among the most common myths found throughout the world. In academic terms, the Garden of Eden story falls into the category of being a traditional creation story. These stories essentially reflect the society and culture that fostered them. Therefore, the Garden of Eden represents a key factor in understanding the very foundation of Western culture and civilization. Second, the story is expressed through characters, which often include non-humans, such as gods, goddesses, supernatural beings, and often focuses on mystical circumstances related to the first people of that world or culture. In the Garden of Eden story, we see all three. God, the serpent, and Adam and Eve. Third, the setting is typically set in ancient times, often before the recording of the society's official history. It reflects the very beginning of their ideas and traditions, prior to becoming fundamentally embedded into their culture. It generally represents a world like our own, 
but often more magical and mystical in terms of its spiritual dimension. The setting essentially reflects a transition between two worlds that ultimately become more separated through the transition. In the Garden of Eden, human beings are separated from the world of God into the world of duality, or the physical world. Fourth, the plot makes use of the setting to define and contrast the mystical or spiritual world of the past from our own world, which has become more limited by the laws of nature, that keep us from completely experiencing the potential understanding and freedom we once experienced in the past. Adam and Eve were once free from the burden of making choices and decisions, not because they did not have the freedom to do so, they chose to eat the apple, but because they were at one with God's will and intention. Fifth, myths express the possibility that the physical laws of nature are not absolute. There is another world, beyond or behind the physical world, that generates or influences it. To a certain extent, the Garden of Eden seems almost like a dream. God and man united in the perfect consciousness of the cosmos in a physical dimension called Earth. Until they awaken from the dream to find themselves trapped in a physical reality experienced as dualism. Sixth, myths serve a social role by promoting social action. They serve as a foundation for a society's morality and value system. The culture's core values are embedded in their myths. Most of the core values of Western civilization center around our unique ability to use reason and logic as tools for abstract thinking. More importantly, in this myth, reason was given to us by God. This eventually becomes the essential foundation for the Declaration of Independence, involving individual inalienable rights based on self-evident truths given to us by our Creator all deduced from abstract reason. Seventh, myths often serve as an expression of an unknown and often unknowable reality. Everything is not fully explained. In the Garden of Eden, God is not explained. Why there is a fruit that gives human beings reason is not explained. God's reference to us is not explained. Even the serpent who tempts them into disobedience is never fully explained often assumed to be Satan or the devil. Myths represent a larger mystery of which we are being given just a small sample. We are not ready for the total, complete truth about reality. We are only capable of handling a piece at a time, baby steps, so to speak. Eighth, myths are often a comment on the nature of duality, usually involving a choice made by human beings. In the Garden of Eden story, human beings become entangled in the world of duality only after deciding to disobey God and choosing to eat the forbidden fruit. Our choices are powerful and have powerful consequences. The Garden of Eden is the story about duality. Ninth, myths are literary devices focusing on the influence of language. They are a symbolic story told through the archetypes of language. Myths bring abstract concepts and situations into the objective world of physical reality. Language, through myth, helps to bring the idea of a non-physical world into the physical world. 
It makes the abstract concrete, something we can talk about. Finally, number 10. Myths are essentially metaphors. They are specifically designed to consider and analyze the physical or the real world by asking metaphysical questions such as, why are we here? What is our purpose? Who created us? And why are we and things in general the way they are? In the Garden of Eden, the question related to how did human beings obtain reason is answered. As a mythology, the Garden of Eden story utilizes archetypes and metaphors to explain why human beings are different from other animals on Earth. It establishes that after obtaining the ability to distinguish opposites, such as good and evil, human beings became more like the divine, or God. What makes human beings godlike is their ability to use reason as a way of understanding how things work. This same reason also gives them the godlike power of creation, resulting in art, architecture, music, storytelling, and more. As a myth, this story stands alone as a lesson in understanding. It is one of many creation stories. However, this particular creation myth holds the seed that develops into Western civilization. As a religious narrative, the Garden of Eden is not a standalone story. It is the opening act of a much larger narrative called the Bible. It not only explains why and how human beings became separated from the unity of God, it also sets up God's divine solution for repairing the relationship. Once becoming like God, human beings would have to become responsible for understanding God without the divine nature necessary for actually being God. The balance and unity between God and his creation, mankind, had been destroyed through the selfish act of one human being, Adam, and could therefore only be reestablished through the completely unselfish acts of another human being. A single human being capable of living a perfectly divine life, a life not like God, but as God, was the only possible remedy. Adam and Eve's fall from grace was a result of disobedience. Only a human being who would willingly follow every rule and request of God could counteract Adam's original sin and rebalance the relationship between God and mankind. In Christian tradition, that man is Jesus of Nazareth. One of the key considerations to take from this story is that it introduces the concept of sin into our consciousness. Sin directly involves choice. Human beings made a choice to disobey God and eat the forbidden fruit. Therefore, free will was already a part of their nature before eating from the tree of knowledge. However, the dichotomy of choice, or duality of choice, is introduced by the serpent when it tempts Adam and Eve to make a false choice. Once their eyes were opened, they no longer lived in the truth of unity with God and nature. From this point on, everything related to human beings involved choice. Some choices would bring you closer to the original unity of mankind and the divine. Other choices move you further away from that original unity. Sin, in actuality, is the separation from God. That separation from divine truth often leads to more decisions that widen that separation.
Sin tends to beget more sin. Choices that result in a movement away from divine unity are considered sinful acts because they expand the separation between us and God, moving us even further away from divine oneness. The Bible reflects a Judeo-Christian tradition that continues the story of Adam and Eve into other critical narratives related to the evolution of God's plan to repair the separation between human beings and bring them back to their original divine purpose. The Old Testament transitions human beings from the wickedness resulting from evil choices to a new reality of responsibility under the law. The New Testament transitions human beings from understanding the letter of the law to understanding the spirit of the law, transcending the rationality of action into the divine wisdom of moral understanding. This biblical tradition would eventually influence and impact every aspect of Western civilization and culture. Therefore, whether considered a mythological narrative or a religious truth, the Bible, starting with this creation story, has affected virtually every aspect of Western civilization, culture, heritage, and tradition. You can never fully understand and appreciate Western thought without having at least a basic understanding of this story. The Bible, along with Greek philosophy, represents the foundational archetype of Western civilization. One of the critical results of the Garden of Eden story is that it separates the unity of human consciousness into a dichotomy involving a physical world and a non-physical world. The physical world, or the world of the senses, would result in an evolution of reason leading to science. The non-physical world, or the world of the spirit, would result in an evolution of reason leading to the establishment of Christianity as the largest religion in the world. Speculation regarding the divine nature of the non-physical world would lead to Plato's realm of forms, Aristotle's metaphysics, Descartes' metaphysical mind, Hegel's geist through history, and Jesus' kingdom of heaven. Speculation regarding the objective nature of the physical world would lead to Descartes' scientific method, Einstein's theories of relativity, and quantum mechanics. The concept of God has had many incarnations, including Aristotle's unmoved mover, which serves as the model for future deists, who believe that God is the consciousness that set existence into motion, and then allowed the divine creation to fulfill its purpose through following the natural laws set up as part of existence itself. As the Old Testament God, representing discipline and authority through moral law, and as the New Testament God of love, compassion, and redemption. However, no matter the details, the essence of God, or the good, as Aristotle called it, represents a unity of consciousness that exists outside of the physical world of reality, typically referred to as the world of the spirit, leading to metaphysical concepts such as the realm of forms, the mind, geist, and the kingdom of heaven. It is the essential foundation for a group of philosophers known as rationalists. These philosophers include Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Descartes, Kant, and even Jesus. This story represents the beginning of our consideration. By the end of Book 1, 
we will understand how the simple duality of good and evil evolves into the duality of zeros and ones that has become our current digital dualism, leading to a new digital reality. From the apple in the Garden of Eden to the Apple Corporation in Cupertino, California. Next week, we will untangle the knot known as the physical world, a world of the five senses that gives birth to empiricism, physics, and classical science. This week, we are considering some Facebook comments regarding information and subject matter of the podcast. Subscribe or upgrade to Reality by a Thread to join the conversation and have your questions answered and possibly used on the podcast. Over the next few weeks, the Daily Thread and the podcast should develop a symbiotic relationship regarding our conversation about reality. This week, M writes, Nowhere is it written that the fruit was an apple. M is 100% correct. There is no direct reference to the fruit from the tree of knowledge being an apple anywhere in the Bible. As discussed earlier in the previous podcast about language, I was simply using a very common metaphor to make a point. However, M is technically correct. We get into a more in-depth conversation regarding this narrative in books 2 and 3. B.F. writes, I'm very curious to know if this is a moral or immoral site. Please explain the metaphysics and epistemology of your reality. To a great extent, that is what the book series is about. First, the consideration of morality plays a key factor in the evolution of human consciousness. Whether it be Jesus' golden rule or Kant's categorical imperative, I'm attempting to follow that evolution from prehistory through Western philosophy, Eastern philosophy, Judeo-Christian philosophy, science, and social science as a way of better understanding our current view of reality, and perhaps the next step in the process. We consider and discuss various moral perspectives and their influence on moral reality. However, we do not advocate any specific belief or dogma. In terms of metaphysics, it is a main topic of the first book. I follow the history of Western and Eastern metaphysics with particular attention to Aristotle and his foundational books Physics and Metaphysics. By following this history of metaphysics, we eventually reach a point where the metaphysics of theology and the metaphysics of science, particularly quantum physics, begin to reflect a similar reality. This is one of the main considerations in Book 3. The epistemological approach is a combination of Eastern balance and Western virtue, with the intent of communicating abstract and metaphysical concepts in a way that is both rationally and emotionally meaningful and enjoyable. The book series, newsletter, and podcast are all designed to expand and stimulate thought, not change it. Part of that involves a dialectic interaction and conversation with other people. That is what the Daily Thread, Reality by a Thread, and this podcast, Untangling the Knots of Reality, are all about. B.B. writes, Things work the way they do. We can change some things to work the way we want. There are people out there that think because the math is there, we can manipulate everything. 
Just live your short life doing what makes you happy and forget about the things we can't change. BB makes an excellent point. At any given time, there are things within our sphere of control and things that are not. However, that can often change over time. For example, it was beyond our control to go to the moon a hundred years ago. It no longer is. Essentially, our reality has changed regarding the matter of leaving the planet. In fact, space travel is now fast becoming the next phase in human evolution and development. So, perhaps we should not become too complacent. But appreciating the moment and the situation in front of you is a key factor in truly experiencing reality. If you are a naturally curious person, you are likely to have fun and enjoy this podcast. However, many people are interested in other things that are more meaningful to them. So, pursue your happiness. Let me give you some quick information before we go. You can subscribe to my free weekly newsletter, How Things Work, at frankelkins.substack.com. That's frankelkins.substack.com. Don't forget to subscribe or upgrade to Reality by a Thread so you can share your comments and continue this conversation. That upgrade includes this podcast and free PDF versions of all Substack editions of my books, starting with Book 1, Dualism, Recognizing the Patterns of Reality, available now. You can also check out my books at booksnotonamazon.com. That's booksnotonamazon.com, where you can download PDF versions of the books and access a link for high-quality print editions, which are available through blurb.com. That's it for now. See you next week as we continue to untangle the knots of reality when we will be considering the nature of our five senses, the reality of the physical world. Doesn't that sound like an incredibly fascinating topic to consider? How Things Work Untangling the Knots of Reality Be a part of the conversation.